All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's just read a couple of verses here, and we'll try and dive into this as much as we can. We won't get very far tonight, I don't think, but that'll be all right. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away, uh, taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath, done, have, that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to, li- to, live- to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump <clears throat> as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to now but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat for what have I to do to judge them also that are without do ye not judge them that are within but them that are without God judgeth therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person all right so I didn't intend to read the whole chapter but we will certainly take it. Have I prayed yet? Have I, I feel like I've prayed already. Maybe that was because I prayed at the beginning of the service. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we do thank you, God, for allowing us to be here. And God, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, for the bedrock, Lord, the, the assurance, God, the uh, Lord, the stability, God, Lord, that the word of God brings, Lord. And we thank you, God, that Uh, Lord, for the Spirit of God that you've put inside us, God, to give us understanding, Lord, of what we're looking at, God, here. If it wasn't for you, Lord, we wouldn't know how to handle your Word, God. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd lead us and guide us and direct us and help us. God, help us, Lord, to have some understanding this evening, God. I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Pray that you'd, uh, God, help some folks grow, God. Lord, I pray that you'd provide growth, Lord, right in the middle, God, of the turmoil of this world. God, I do pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Lord, to grow, God, to grow, Lord, closer to you, God, closer to one another. And we'll thank you for it. God, help us to grow in holiness, God, in righteousness and purity. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. On Sunday, I preached two messages out of the chapter, and really, I didn't really preach out of the chapter per se. I really did more so of preaching about the chapter, and I tried to just give an overview of the chapter in the context in which it's found. Sunday morning, I believe, I preached about the chapter in the context of 1 Corinthians and why it's placed, where it's placed, and how it is that God in His wisdom placed chapter 5 right exactly where it needs to go. And I don't know about you, but one thing that I have, and this is just kind of a side note, not really relating to the message tonight, one thing that I have really come to enjoy in my Bible study and my Bible reading 
is trying to look at when I, let me back up and put it like this. A lot of the preaching that you hear is, uh, for lack of a better term, it's specialized preaching. And I, what I mean by that is it's a very narrow view of specific verses. And there's not anything wrong per se with that kind of preaching. I'm not, that's not a critical remark towards that kind of preaching. But a lot of times what you do is you sacrifice a lot of meat and a lot of uh, depth from the Word of God because you're, you're so focused on this one issue that you're trying to figure out and you forget about all of the stuff that's surrounding it. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll pick out one book out of the Bible and you'll read through that book and read through that book and read through that book and, and that's great. That's better than not reading at all. But uh, it, it's much better to read through that book and read through that book and read through that book, that one particular book in your Bible. It's much better to do that through the process of reading through the entire Bible. Because what you get, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again, what you get is a broad view. And when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is certainly a treatise. It's certainly a, it's a, it's a means of addressing a particular situation in the church at Corinth and, and a situation that arises again and again in our local churches this day and age, very rampantly, by the way. But it not only is it a treatise of how to handle those situations, it's also an explanation of the carnal nature of Christians, which we'll dive into, Lord willing, here in just a second. And it, it really gives a lot of insight to the, the fleshly nature of man. And so that was really what Sunday morning was an attempt to try to explain to you. So I don't want to re-preach that message. If you want to listen to it again, go online and listen to it. But either way, and then Sunday night I tried to preach to you about how it relates to the whole scripture and how that God hasn't changed. And so just by a simple way of review before we uh, labor this any longer, let me just say that in, uh, in, by way of review that the God that we serve today is the same God that was the God of the Old Testament. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his morals. He hasn't changed his stance on righteousness. He hasn't changed his mind about what's holy. In the words of Brother Roloff, everything that was true is still true today. And that, that is, I believe with all my heart, the sense in which he meant that statement. It's not that God hasn't changed his dealings with men. We're not Israel. We're not Israel. We are the church. We're not Gentiles. We're the church. And so God deals with us a much different way than he deals with Israel, but God is still the same God. And I gave you the illustration at the close of the message on Sunday night that I deal with Lois differently than I deal with Ezra, and I deal with those two children differently than I deal with Samuel. It's because they're in different stages of their life. They're in different stages of their relationship to me, their fellowship, I should say. They're all my children, and I'm the same guy towards them all. But they understand me differently because I've revealed myself in different ways to them because they're eight, one's able to handle it a lot more than the other one. The oldest is able to understand more than the youngest one is. And so I have to reveal myself in a little bit of a different way to the oldest than I do the youngest. But that doesn't mean that I'm different. It doesn't mean that I still, it doesn't mean that I don't like a clean house. 
It doesn't mean that I don't expect for bedrooms to be picked up and put away and for teeth to be brushed. Of course, Mama's a little bit more uh, valiant about that issue. Praise the Lord for that. That'll save you a lot of money on a dentist bill. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it's, it's the same revelation. It's the same revealing of myself to those children. It's just in a different manner. Same guy. Same concept. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself in a particular way. God reveals himself a little more when you come to the New Testament. But that does not negate what God did in the Old Testament. Grace, grace is not an excuse for you to ignore the moral law of God. It's not an excuse for you to look at God's law and say, I'm under grace, and just skylark across God's commandments and God's rules. God still expects holiness. He still expects purity. And I'll, I'll go along, I'll go this far, I'll go a little bit farther than that and say this. I dare say that God expects it more out of the church than he does Israel. I understand in a sense that that's not an exact correct an exactly correct statement. But I, I say that in this sense. You have the ability to be holy. They had the ability to be disciplined and be holy. Well, you've got something that they didn't have. You've got the Spirit of God living inside of you. And listen, a lot of those people in the Old Testament did discipline themselves to be holy. They did discipline themselves to be righteous. What's your excuse? We don't have no excuse. And so at the end of the day, if we're not living holy lives, if we're not living righteous lives like we've been commanded by the Lord, the only thing that you can come down to is one of two options. Either you're living in unbelief, you're saved, but you're still living in unbelief. Don't believe that the Spirit of God can provide the power that He says He will if you'll submit to Him, or... You just don't want to live right. And I, I don't believe that one outweighs the other. I believe that there are Christians equally on both sides. I believe that there are Christians that are, are involved with both of those things. Some of it's that they don't believe. Some of it's that they don't want to. I know that's true for myself from time to time. And when I say time, from time to time, I say that tongue-in-cheek meaning quite often. Quite often, I don't do right, and the reason that I don't do right is because I don't want to. That's not very hard to understand. The reason that a lot of folks are really troubled in mind about what all's going on with this virus is because they, and I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it, is because there was no preparation that was made before the, the virus ever showed up. Well, you say, well, why was no preparation made? They didn't want to make preparation. And I hate that. I, I really do. I'm not saying that with a smile on my face. I'm not saying that because, look at me, I'm spirit more spiritual than they are. And you shouldn't take that attitude neither. But that's the truth. If you, wanted, if you wanted to be ready, listen, I don't know what's coming in two weeks. God be merciful. God be merciful. But I don't know what's coming in two weeks. But I want to try to prepare now. You say, how do you prepare? Live right. I, since we're on this subject, and I feel like I've hit a little bit of a groove here, let me, let me make this statement. One time my wife went to the hospital uh, shortly after Ezra was born. Most of you folks remember this. Uh, Ezra was born, and Heidi had high blood pressure, and so we took her to the, the... 
actually her mother took her to the ER. They got her there. Her blood pressure was, she was having headaches. Took her to the ER. Uh, she, blood pressure was through the roof. They got her in there and they called me, said, hey, you need to come down here. They're going to admit Heidi. And as soon as I walked in the ER room, she started going into massive seizures. Now, if you ain't never seen anybody go into a seizure and you've never been around much medical problems, buddy, that's pretty scary. That's pretty, pretty nerve-wracking. And uh, I'd be lying if I said that everything was okay in my mind and everything was okay in my heart. But I will tell you this. They rolled her down there to do the MRI. And just as sure as I'm standing here this, this evening, they rolled her down there. They said, hey, come on down here. We're going to take her down there and roll her in there, do an MRI, make sure that there's no brain damage. Boy, I was bothered. Boy, I was pretty upset. I really never went through anything like that, and so I didn't really know what to think. But they rolled her in there, and they said, sit right here. The MRI room is right there. We're going to roll her in there and do an MRI. And they rolled her in there. They shut the door, and I sat there right in that chair by myself. And, buddy, just as clear as a bell. I'm not talking about audibly, but something in my heart, that old song came through my heart that said, I have a source of strength when I am weak that takes me through when life is pressing me? Yeah. It's not scripture, but it was scriptural. You say, what is that? That's the comfort of the Holy Ghost. It breaks my heart that people are Christians. Christians in this church have absolutely lost their mind I hope you're listening over the, over the internet. And I'm not saying this with any animosity. I say it with a broken heart, man. It breaks my heart that people have lost their mind in the midst of all this virus and cannot find a way to trust the Lord. Yeah. Hasn't he brought you through before? That's right. He's never failed me. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Worthy to be admired. He's worthy to be adored. That's very true. How that all came out of this, I, I have no idea. That was nowhere in my notes, but it's true nonetheless. So let me just say that God, the God that we serve today is the same God. It's the same God of, of the God of the Old Testament. He hated fornication then. He hates it just as much now. And listen... The other thing I want you to remember is that fornication is really an elementary problem. And I don't mean that it's really, it's not an important issue, but it's a base issue in that the sense that when the apostles came on the scene and started dealing with the Gentile believers, one of the first things that they dealt with was the issue of fornication. They said, hey, if you're going to be, if you're going to amount to anything as a Christian, you're going to have to get this taken care of. This is one of the first things that you're going to have to take care of. Your relationship to idols and this matter of fornication. And listen, listen, when a Gentile, when a, when a Christian even, when those people start regressing back to their state of where they were before they got saved, they're not, not losing their salvation, but when they start backsliding, they start regressing, the thing that starts showing up is this issue right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Isn't that kind of interesting? We'll look a little bit more at that here in just a second. But, and then Paul, the first issue that he deals with, so to speak, is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So let's look at the text and try and get through this as much as we can. The Bible says it's reported commonly. 
that there's fornication among you. He said it's a common report. This is not hearsay. This is not something that I am just, I just heard from one person here, but it's something that I'm hearing from every place. It's a common report. Hey, what's going on down there at the church at Corinth? Well, that's, where all, that's the church where the fornicators go. And you know, there, there are churches in this town that just about have that testimony. Unfortunately, there's a church in this town, and I think I've mentioned it here in this pulpit before, but there's a church in this town that the whole place got busted up because I don't know if he was a deacon or whatnot, but one of the ladies was uh, having uh, an illegitimate, illegitimate dealings with the song leader. You know, that put a spot on that church for years. They're just, they're just now coming out of it, but they're not coming out of it because of the Bible. They're coming out of it because they put on Southern Gospel sayings all the time. When, when a man commits fornication, when he commits adultery, you get a blot to yourself that's not going to be taken away. You can get upset with a preacher about standing up and ridiculing Jimmy Swaggart for doing what he did years ago. And that was a long time ago. But listen... Uh, no preacher forced Jimmy Swagger to get into the situation that he got into. He made that decision himself. And listen, when you make those kind of decisions, you have to live with those consequences. You say that, you say you're being cruel. Not being cruel. It's truth. It's truth. And whether that's my favorite preacher or whether that's the Pope or whether it's any other man just makes no difference. It makes no difference about it. It's reported commonly. It's a common report. Now listen, let me tell you something. What people think about you does matter. It matters. It matters to the extent that it regards issues of holiness. It regards issues of righteousness. It regards issues of moral purity. It matters. What somebody looks at you and thinks about you as far as your character and as far as your cleanliness is concerned it matters and listen let me tell you it matters what people think about this church that's what we're talking about we're talking about how the church deals with this issue and so it matters and so if you engage in something that's not right something as wicked and wrong as fornication if you engage in something like that and it brings a bad name to the church that matters. And the church has every right to put their finger in your face and say, you're not welcome here anymore. Amen. It matters. It's a, it makes a big difference. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, talking about the bishop, he says, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Well, why? The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Uh, Jesus Christ told his disciples, he said, let your light so shine among men that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It matters. It matters what people think about you in regards to your good works, in regards to your moral purity. And so... In addressing this issue of the common report, which is the first thing that Paul brings up about this, about this issue in 1 Corinthians 5, it's not something to be disregarded. Listen, why would somebody listen to you about matters of faith and verity? 
That's matters of faith and truth. Why would somebody listen to you about matters of faith and verity when you're not conforming yourself to the standard that you proclaim to hold forth? You're standing out here preaching about how that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. If that's the message that you're preaching and you're not willing to conform to a righteous life that God has to offer you, dear Christian then why would the world be interested in anything that you've got to say, any information that you have to offer them about, hey, God can, Jesus Christ died to save you from that life of sin. Well, you say you're a Christian. He died to save you from the same sin. Why are you engaged in it? And so I'll tell you what a lot of Christians do. I'll tell you what a lot of Christians in this church have done. Quit witnessing. You quit witnessing. You say, why? Because every time you open your mouth, your conscience eats you alive. You open your mouth and say, hey, man, God died to save your soul from that wicked life. And you know as soon as you say that, they're going to turn around and say, well, what about that thing that you're doing? And they see it. It's open right in broad daylight. And you know that they're going to point that out because they've got two brain cells working in their head. And so what you do is to avoid that kind of conviction, to avoid your conscience from eating you alive, you shut your mouth. And you quit witnessing. And now you're miserable. When you could have just, man, just submitted yourself to the Lord and said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for engaging in this activity. I'm sorry for harboring this pet sin. God, help me. I'm willing. I'm willing to let it go. You could take that kind of an attitude, but see, it's, it's something that I've grown up with my whole life. I, I like it. Hey, there's certain things that I like to do that aren't right. But man, I like the presence of the Lord in my life much better. I like enjoying the presence of God and reading God's Word and understanding what God's got to say in His book. I, under, I love that more. I love sin. I just like God's book more. That's right, man. Your flesh hasn't changed. But see, you've got the Spirit of God living inside there going, man, there's something, there's something about that book that you like, isn't there? And if you're honest with God, you say, yes, sir, there sure is. Well, see, man, if you can admit that, man, if you can admit that, then, man, you've set in motion something to be taken, uh, something to give attention to. But a lot of people are just... I'd rather hold on to this. And so they hold on to it, and they just live the same old life that they've always lived. People look at them and can't tell any difference. Listen, you can't tell any difference between this guy here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and the bunch of Gentiles that are out doing the same exact garbage. You remember that instance over there in Numbers? It started in Numbers 22 with Balaam and Balak, and and Balak the king sent for Balaam, and he said, hey, come curse me, Israel. Balaam went over there, and he, he, said, he got up there, and he opened his mouth, and he couldn't curse him. He blessed him, blessed him three different times, and got Balak mad. Balaam finally turned around, and he said, listen, I can't curse these people because they're blessed of God. He said, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to get them. He said, send your women folk down there and entice their men to commit fornication. You say, what happened? God started wiping the place out. That's right. You think God's not going to take a, an, ang an attitude of anger towards a church that's filled with that mess? 
whether it's your daughter or not. You say, nobody's daughter in here is doing that stuff. I hope not. I, and I don't, I don't expect to hear that. I, I hope not. But nonetheless, doesn't mean it won't come in the future. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, listen, it's no excuse for the folks that look at that, that sort of a life and say, well, hey, man, you're not conforming your life. Why should I be interested in anything that you've got to say? That's no excuse for them. But if you've got two brain cells working in your head, you can see where they're coming from. Your responsibility as a Christian is to be the salt of the earth. Salt makes you thirsty. Are you making anybody thirsty for what you've got? Well, I tell you, you're not going to do that. Listen, you're not going to do that by living the same way that they're living. It's not going to happen. Me, you, we're the same. What do you have that I need? I'll tell you this. <clears throat> I'll tell you this. A lot of Christians don't have no joy. A lot of Christians don't have any peace. They totally take righteousness and you set it off to the side. That's why you don't have any righteous that's why you don't have any joy. That's why you don't have any peace, because there's no righteousness. The reason you don't have any righteousness is because there's no submission to the Spirit of God through God's book. Okay, you don't submit yourself to the Spirit of God. There's no righteousness. Well, the thing that comes with righteousness is joy and peace. Well, Christians don't have any joy and peace. So a lost man, he doesn't have any righteousness. He doesn't have any joy. He doesn't have any peace. But he's looking at you with the molly grubs, and you've got to go to church. You've got to do this, and you've got to read your Bible. You've got to pray, and you've got to pass out tracts. And he looks at it and says, man, why in the world would I want your rules for my liberty? There are rules. I, I, I'm under a set of rules according to the scripture. But it's not rules that I have to do. It's rules that I get to do. But see, the difference is my matter of perspective. If I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit, then it's a praise the Lord. Thank God I get to do this. If it's a thing of I have to do this, then there's a problem. There's a problem in my heart. No problem with the rules. So a lost man looks at a Christian and says, or looks at a saved man, I should say, not a Christian, looks at a saved man and says, big deal. I can get that by getting drunk. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, let me point out a couple of things about the passage. Uh, I already started pointing out a couple of things, but let me say this. Let me point out that the guy who's engaged in this disaster is not the guy that Paul's talking to in the passage. The person that the people that Paul's talking to is he's talking to the church at Corinth about this guy. And so let me just throw this in here right across home plate right quick. If a preacher starts talking to you to the he starts talking about you to the rest of the church because of something stupid that you did that merits you getting kicked out of the church, don't get upset with him. You deserve it, dummy. I can't believe them folks, man. They're, they're down there at the church talking about me. Well, yeah, that's because you created a problem that we have to fix. You get placed into a position and don't want to fulfill your position. You don't want to fulfill your duties. Okay, well, that merits that we have to now 
sit down with some of the folks in the church and talk about you to those people and say, what are we going to do? What's the scripture say? It's not a gossip game. It's not that we're trying to exalt ourselves over you. We're not trying to be lords over God's heritage. But this is not a zoo. It's a church. Let me ask you a question. What's wrong with church, by the way? I don't see nothing wrong with church. I like church. I like church. Church is supposed to be run orderly. So Paul's not talking to this one guy who's messed this whole thing up. The, guy, the people that Paul's talking to is he's talking to the church. And I also point that out because Paul says that the common report is among you. He's not saying that the common report is that this guy is fornicating. He says the common report is that there's fornication among you, the church members. And so here's one guy who's messing up the whole bunch, and the whole bunch is charged with it. Listen, if somebody gets in here and starts making a mess of things in the church, nobody out there gives any rip about what one individual's making the mess. All they know is that, hey, People's Baptist is a disaster. That's the only thing that's taken into consideration. You say, that's not fair. Sure it is. They didn't do, get, do anything. Those people at Corinth didn't necessarily do anything to get that guy into the situation where he was at. Now, they opened a lot of doors, which I'll talk about here in a second. But nobody forced that guy to go through with his dastardly deeds that he went through with. You start engaging in, in the matter of fornication. There's a lot of hurdles that you have to jump over. There's a lot of inappropriate boundaries that you have to reach past in order to get engaged in something like that. And so when Paul stands around and says, hey, the common reports around you, those people have a right to get upset with this fella because it's, a, it's their name that's being smeared. It's not, it's not Joe Schmo. It's the people of People's Baptist Church that's being ridiculed because of it. And let me tell you something, People's Baptist Church. If you find out about something like that and you sit off by the wayside and don't do something about that, all that says is that you're complicit with what's going on. Well, I just, I think we should have grace. I think we should have mercy. More mercy and more grace than God has? Listen, if you're not complicit with the issue, why are you standing by and not doing anything? Why are you standing by and not saying anything about it? You don't have to, listen, you don't go around town talking about it. You don't go down to the hair salon. You don't go down to the barber shop. You don't go down to the grocery store and run into old so-and-so who used to come to church here and start talking to them about the disaster that's going on in the church. But, hey, it's time to sit down and, hey, it's time we got to do something about this. Hey, this is going on. This has got to be addressed. You say, why, why does it have to be addressed? Because if you don't address it, it's going to spread. It's going to just keep multiplying. It's going to keep growing. Well, what should we do? Paul, what should we do? Verse 2, he said, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. You know what you're supposed to be doing about it? You're supposed to be crying. You're supposed to be mourning about the thing. You say, yeah, we should really be mourning about the guy and really having compassion on him. That's not what the verse says. 
He says, Ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. You know what you're supposed to be crying for? God deliver us. God take this guy away. God get him out of here. Now God puts the burden of responsibility on your shoulders as we get towards the end of the chapter. You'll see that, I, I believe, with all of my heart. But the prayer is that, hey, God, you're past the point of trying to salvage the guy. That'll come. If you do what God told you to do, there's a possibility that the guy could get salvaged. But at this point, man, you've gone a little bit, you've gone quite too far, and now what we've got to do is it's time for you to be put out. I just, that's really cruel. Sorry. That's the way God, listen, it's a lot better than the Old Testament. There wasn't any sacrifice in the Old Testament for adultery. I don't know if you realize that or not. No, no place of repentance for adultery in the Old Testament. David made it out by the skin of his teeth. God was very merciful with him. God, uh, David said, and I believe it was Psalm 51 in that psalm where he repented about that sin with Bathsheba. He said, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, else would I give it. He said, hey, if there was an offering that I could give that would appease the wrath of God in regards to this, he said, I'd give it. No sacrifice. God did accept his broken heart, though. <laughs> That's grace. <laughs> God will take a wrench and throw it in your dispensations. That's right. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, that might have went over your head, but that's okay. That's all right. Nonetheless, I, I enjoyed that. But you should be mourning about the thing. The verse indicates that the sorrow of the church should lead them to put the guy away from among you. Paul doesn't say that you should mourn because you, you love the guy you're, and you're having the compassion on the guy because he's a victim of his sin. He's not a victim. He's a willing participant. Every sin that a fellow's ever committed, he did it because he wanted to do it. Nobody grabbed... Nobody's grabbed you in any sin that you've ever committed and made you act like a marionette puppet. You did it because that's what you wanted to do. You say, don't you think that's a little bit cruel? No, not at all. It's not a cruel attitude. You say, why is that not cruel? Because the guy didn't have enough consideration for the rest of the church before he dove off into fornication. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. You know what will help keep you out of temptation? What will help keep you out of stumbling? Love your brother. Love your brother. Really. You know why a lot of folks don't come to church like they're supposed to? Whether in the middle of a virus or out of the middle of a virus. Not talking about that. Just talking about why folks don't come to church. You know why folks don't do that? Don't love their brother. When you sit here in a church... When there's no pandemic going on and you see a crowd on Wednesday night, you see a crowd on Sunday morning, 60 folks, and then you see a crowd Wednesday night, 20 folks, doesn't it ever cross your mind? Man, I wonder what's going on with old so-and-so. I wonder if they don't like us. Crosses my mind. Makes me wonder why folks come on Sunday morning. I'm glad they're here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach to them. I take every opportunity I get, but boy, it makes me wonder. You say, well, I don't, they don't, those folks don't mean that personal. I'm not so sure they got enough sense to not mean it personal. Really? Yeah. Say you don't mean it personal. Well, why ain't you here? 
Why wouldn't you want to come? Every time I've ever missed church as, as an adult, as a, as a child, this might have been a quite different situation, but as an adult, every time I've ever missed church, there's always been something in the back of my heart saying, man, I really wish I was at church right now. You say, why? These are my people. This is the people that I want to be around with all their quirks. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that true, though? Hey, some, some of us sitting in this building, some of you folks listening, man, you know the folks that are in People's Baptist Church. You know, you know some of their quirks that they have. But I'll tell you, I'd rather be around these folks any day of my life than any, any group out in the world. I'd rather be down here than down at the Masonic Lodge. God have mercy. That's right. And so listen, one of the things that will help keep you out of trouble, one of the things that will help you keep you in a, in a moment of weakness is, hey, what's old so? how's this going to affect old so-and-so? Make you think twice. There's been more than one time I've been ready to cash things in, and the reason that I didn't is because I thought about old so-and-so. What's old so-and-so going to think? You say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. You're a fool. I care. I care what some of you folks think. Sometimes I care a little too much, really. But I'd rather go on that side of the spectrum than just say, I couldn't give a rip what you think about me. Really. Amen. Amen. I'd rather be on that side. Still not good. Still want to be balanced. But nonetheless, I'd rather be on that side than just saying, I don't care. I don't care what people think about you. It helps keep you out of trouble. You know, what, you know what the attitude of the church at Corinth was here according to the passage? In verse 2, he says, ye are puffed up. That's what Paul said. He said, ye are puffed up and, you haven't, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. The attitude is not an attitude of humility. Look, here's the situation. You've got a guy in the midst of the church that's engaged in, in gross fornication. And instead of taking an attitude of humility, the rest of the church gets proud. What gives? That's really a strange attitude for a church to take. Look at verse 6. He says, you're, it's the same concept. Verse 6, he says, your glorying is not good. They haven't taken an attitude. They haven't taken an attitude of humility. It's an attitude of pride. You say, well, what's going on in, in the Scripture? Well, take your Bible, hold your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me remind you about a couple of things that we've already covered, but just take a look at this. Let me put some Scripture with some Scripture. He says, you're in 1 Corinthians 1, I hope, but I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. He says, your glorying is not good. You say, what are they doing? They're glorying. They're glorying apparently in themselves. Well, look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He didn't say not any. He said not many. So God may call a wise man here and there. He might call a mighty man here and there, but there's not many of them. Most of the people that God uses and calls are weak fellows. They're base things. Verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and, hath, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring the not the things that are. For what purpose? 
that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, here's the purpose, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Well, what's these folks doing over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Glorying. He says, your glorying's not good. Okay, hang on just a second. Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 2. He says, you're puffed up. You see that? See that phrase? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. These things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself unto Apollos for your sakes that you might learn enough learn enough in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up. There, there's that same phrase, puffed up for one against another. Look down in verse 18. Now some of you are puffed up as though I would not come to you. But I will come shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power. So what you see, what you get in the context in the first four chapters of the passage is that these folks have a problem with pride. They've got a problem with pride. They've got a problem with pride. They've got a problem with pride. Now watch. Hold your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And look in verse 1. The Bible says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the ear, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He's describing to you a lost man, right? Okay, look what a lost man does. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You know what that lost man's doing? He's glorifying himself. That's self-glory. That's self-gratification. That's magnification of me. It's fulfilling the desires of me. Fulfilling the desires of my mind. What would I like to do? It's me, 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 me. It's the idolization of himself. Now, you know where that ends up? It turns out in Romans chapter 1. Hold your place there. Still holding your place in 1 Corinthians 5. I'll turn over there to Romans chapter 1. And I'll tell you, he says, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And here we go. We're heading right down the path of homosexuality. You see that? Well, that's where the when you start out in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3, that's where your condition ends up is in Romans chapter 1. So you take a man who is started out in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3, and you tell him the gospel, he believes, he gets saved, and he starts taking God, he starts taking the glory, and he gives it to the only person that deserves it, God. And then he starts serving in the church and he starts singing a song starts playing an instrument or he preaches in a church and he gets a big crowd or he creates a big youth camp or he gets a big youth department going and then he starts stealing some of God's glory you know what God does God takes him and lets him go right back to where he was before he got saved a place of fornication you say, that wouldn't happen. God wouldn't do that. 
God told Israel in the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, He said, if you steal my glory, He said, I'll spread dung in your faces. You want that in the Greek? Good, because I don't know Greek. He said, if you steal my glory, I'll spread dung in your faces. You go over to the book of Proverbs, you know what he says? He says, a whore is a deep ditch. He that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. I have thought about that verse and thought about that verse. That's scary, man. You know all it takes for you to get messed up with an inappropriate woman, fellas? All it takes is for you to just get on God's bad side, so to speak. Get into the position to where God abhors you. And God will send some little Jezebel by to start telling you what you think is already true about yourself. That's called flattery. Oh, you're such a wonderful preacher. Oh, man, you, you really did a great job preaching that sermon. Mm. What's really strange is when fellas start doing that. I, I understand when fellas, you know, hey, preacher, appreciate that message. I get that. But, man, you know when fellas come up to you after the service, and it's just, it's almost you can feel the honey oozing off of the words. Man, what's, what's up with that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's, some, there's something going on with that. You say, what's the Lord doing? The Lord, if you're not careful, if you don't have your heart right towards giving God the glory that belongs to Him, God might be setting you up. Let me give you something to think about. I don't know if you know too many preachers that have run off with women that aren't their wives. I run off with my wife all the time. But all these preachers that have run off with these, with these women that are not their wives, and I hope you don't know many of those. I really hope you don't. But if you do, if you just stop for a second and think about it, think about who they are. Think about the character of kind of men that they are. They're all flashy, or most of them are flashy. They're men that got into a position to where they were quickly able to start getting the big head about what they were doing. One... Two, three, four, five. Just off the top of my head without thinking real hard, real hard. Of course, I have to really get my brain in gear to think, but without thinking real hard, I can think of five preachers off the top of my head, and three of those preachers, they dress like a pimp. Six. Three of them dress like a pimp. You say, what's going on? Glory. They want God's glory. Look at me, look at me. You listen to those same preachers preach and everything always has to be way, way up high. It can't be just much like it is right now. Just nothing dynamic, just going through the scripture. Can't be like that. You say, why? It's not sensational. I know of a preacher right now who was considered one of the most successful pastors in really all, I'll say on the East Coast to be safe. I don't know if he was really known on the West Coast, but he had what would many would have considered the most successful youth department in a church anywhere on the East Coast. Come find out he was messing around with somebody in his church, dressed like a pimp. Always had these sermons that had to be something, wow. Knew another preacher, know him real well, know him real well. 
uh, distant relative of mine. And same thing. Had to blow dry his hair to fix his hairdo. Vanity. Vain. What happened? Found out he was cheating on his wife with one of the girls in his church. Another preacher up in West Virginia had a big camp meeting. Had Don Green come in every year. Had a bunch of preachers come in every year. Just all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, ran off one day. You say, what's going on? Those are guys that have been flirting around with danger for so long that they've gotten comfortable. They feel like, well, man, I'm just, I'm untouchable. You say, how do you get there? You start stealing God's glory. What you have here in 1 Corinthians is you have a church from chapters 1 through 4 where Paul is addressing the issue. Listen, you're proud. You're puffed up. And you say, what has it done? It's opened the door for immorality. And so you go to these churches in this area here in the south with all these little Christian celebrities singing where everybody falls in love. Maybe I shouldn't be this way, Brother Pedro. Maybe I shouldn't be this way. But I'm almost to the point to where when I hear really good sound and singing, I, I, get, I get a big question mark. I have deep suspicions. You say, why? Because it's real easy for somebody that sounds almost like they rolled out of Nashville. It's real easy for them to get a big head. Once you get a big head, God's getting ready to spread dung in your face. And if God has to send a whore by your way to do that, God will do that. You think you're something, old boy? You ain't no better than the bum on the street. Here you go. So you watch all these little Christian teeny bopper celebrities running around and, oh, praise the Lord. And you got this big crowd of people following them and just about worshiping them. Watch the video of fellow I know, watched the video of the fellow the other day, got a, a Christian, a preacher, a preacher, a preacher, got a flat-brimmed hat on, looks like Daffy Duck. Turns on Facebook Live and sit there and... What are you doing, man? You say, what's going on? God's getting ready to spread dung in somebody's face. You watch. You watch. I hope I'm wrong. God, with all, with all my heart, boy, I hope I'm wrong. But you watch. It's going to come out, some of the folks that you folks in this building tonight, some of the folks that you know, it's going to come out that somebody's been slipping around with somebody else's wife. All these preachers get together that can sing so well, which is the only reason that many of these churches are having these preachers in. It ain't because they're preaching the truth, which they might be preaching the truth. I've listened to a couple of their sermons. They say some good stuff. I'm not saying that they're totally off base in what they're saying. But what's bringing people in is singing. I can sing. I, I, got, I got the ability to create this harmony. And boy, people associate, people associate that music. They associate that singing with the touch of God. Listen, if that was the case, Leonard Skinner would be full of the Holy Ghost. Just because you can sing doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Where's the book? Where's the holiness? Where's the purity? 
But you start getting all this singing together and you get these evangelists and their wives start singing together and you watch them while they sing and they start looking at each other. No, sir, buddy, I'm not, I'm not singing. I'm not doing that. Something ain't right with this stuff, folks. This stuff starts floating around where all these singers are going through and making eyeballs with each other because they're acting like they're in the spirit. That's Bill Gaither stuff. You know where some of the heaviest fornicators came out of in the Christian circles, right? It came out of the Southern Gospel industry. Not the movement, not the circle. It's an industry. It's a money-making thing. It came out of there. Kirk Talley, known homosexual, came out of the closet back in the early 2000s. Just struggling with this. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of preachers that are struggling with that stuff. You know how they got involved with all that mess? Through their music. You say, that's not going on. It is going on. I guarantee you it's going on beneath the surface. You say, what's going on? People are stealing God's glory and God's spreading their face in the dirt. You're not going to steal God's glory and get away with it. Listen, you know where you're going to have to get down? You're going to have to get way, way, way down. Listen, here's what I don't understand, and I'll let you go. I, I really am finished. I'm just rambling right now, but I believe it's right. Here's what I don't understand. Here's what I don't understand. In all these services that are going on, I've been in some good services, me personally. I've been in some real good services. Most of the services that I would really estimate to be very good were not services where people were standing up screaming and shouting. They were services where people were running to the altars because they wanted to get saved and wanted to get right with God. And people were crawling to the altars because God was making himself real to the hearts of men. God was showing himself how holy he was. And people were trying to bury themselves under the carpet in the church. That's a good service. Not saying anything against all of the screaming and hollering and shouting. Be the first one to get involved in that stuff. But where are the services where people are burying themselves in the dirt saying, God, help me. God, be merciful to me. I don't see that stuff no more. And so I just, I just, I hesitate to think that all these guys getting together and shouting about being filled with the Holy Ghost. I just tend to think that that's a bunch of horse manure. Listen, if you want to show me a service, listen, if you want to show me a service where somebody's burying their head underneath the dirt, I'll pay attention and hush my mouth. But it don't take somebody very spiritual to stand up and scream and holler and do what all this stuff is going on just because you got emotionally moved at the sound of singing. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that God can't touch you. I'm not saying that God can't help you and minister to you through singing. But I am telling you, I am telling you that if that's as far as your Christianity goes, something's wrong, you're probably somewhere in the background, you're probably taking a soft attitude towards this issue of immorality, which is exactly what's going on in our circles. It's no longer the charismatic circles. It's no longer Jimmy Swaggart's crowd. It's no longer Benny Hinn. It's no longer those people. It's independent, Bible-believing, quote-unquote, fundamental Baptist churches. You say, what's going on? It starts with stealing God's glory. And all that does is that swings the door way open wide for this spirit of whoredoms to start coming in. 
that's what you've got going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Times haven't changed. Times haven't changed at all. We better get on our face and start asking God to forgive us and help us. and Start giving glory back to the only person that deserves it. That's where we better get back to. God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, and we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, Lord, we're worms. God, we're least. God, we're the least of, of Christians, Lord, really. And God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to humble ourselves before you. God, Lord, not trying to necessarily pick a fight per se, but God, I, at the same time, God, I'm not interested, God, in hiding behind the bushes and not saying anything about this stuff, regardless of who it may touch, regardless of who it may affect. And God, I pray that you'd help me, Lord, to just let the chips fall where they may, God, at this point. And God, I pray that you'd do something, God, in the hearts of our people. God, I pray that you'd do something in the hearts of Christians, God, in this area. Uh, God, Lord, all these Christian singers, God, getting around and, Lord, singing in church and while at the same time, getting on Facebook and hollering and laughing about transgender people wearing LuLaRoe dresses. Uh, Lord God, that stuff, Lord, it upsets me, God. Lord, it makes me mad, God. And all it speaks of is how fake and how phony Christianity has turned out to be. And Lord, if that's all this world knows, there's no wonder why they don't want any part of it, God. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God. Help us, Lord. Help, And I pray that you'd help all of us Christians, God, Lord, in this area. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to realize, God, Lord, that with that, with that salvation, God, with that... Uh, that rescue from sin, God, Lord, there's a life of holiness that can be lived, and it's a wonderful life to live. God, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to just submit ourselves. God, submit ourselves to the truth. God, submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And God, Lord, trust you with the rest. Lord, we'll thank you for it. God, thank you for these, God, that have been here tonight. Pray that you'd bless them. God, those that have tuned in at home, Lord, I pray you'd be with Brother Spike as he's dealing, God, Lord, with a cut water line at the house, God. I, I kind of chuckle, but God, at the same time, Lord, I feel sorry for him. I pray you help him, God, help him to get that thing fixed, Lord. Do pray, God, do pray that you'd help the folks that have tuned in, God, and the folks that are here. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.